Thanks, Kurt. Hey, we're going to be in Revelation chapter 4 today, so we're jumping back in. And Revelation chapter 4 and 5, I know you all read that this week because I mentioned it last week, but if you didn't, read it again, and we'll be in it again next week as well. So go ahead and read those because we're going to bounce around quite a bit and, and pretty quickly. But, um, but Revelation chapter 4, if, if we come back, it, it's, the, uh, it's the throne room of God. It, it is the big picture of what really is, of what this world is, of, of everything in all of creation, seen and unseen. And as we come back and kind of back up and, 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 and catch up on where we've been in Revelation, remember the, the theme of the book is God's sovereign. He is over all things. Everything is under God. It's under his control and his power. And, and this book continually reminds us of this. And, and he is in, in control of all things. And everything literally revolves around him. If you go back and, and realize that in him, all things hold together. All things that are, have been made in Colossians chapter 1 tells us in that all things are held together in him. So I want us to jump back and, and, and go back to the very beginning and remember the circumstances of this book. If, if we go back to the first chapter, we see God, um, we, we see John worshiping God on the island of Patmos, and, and we see where he has the vision of God, and he falls down before Jesus as Jesus appears to him, and he says, I am the one who walks among the seven churches, and, and I hold the seven stars in my hand, and, and he comes in, and he begins to speak, and, and he is um, reminding John of his sovereignty. And so if we look at these seven churches that he speaks to, we, we've got to remember the circumstances that they faced, what was their world like, and, and what was happening in John's life and, and in the early church. So if we back up and go back in history again and just kind of recap this, in 65 AD, Nero begins persecuting the church. In 67 AD, Vespasian, the emperor of Rome, he uh, continues this by dipping Christians in oil and impaling them on sticks and using them as street lamps. So you come in and, and you begin to see some things happening here that are not only atrocious, they're highly oppressive, and, and persecution is real, and it's there. And if you're worshiping Jesus, you are facing this. Um, Christians were imprisoned. They were brutalized. They were fed to the animals. They were used in the Colosseum for sport. Um, it, it was an ugly, ugly time. In AD 70, Jerusalem was destroyed and burned to the ground. So the holy city of, of the Jewish people, it was totally obliterated and gone. Peter, Paul, and Timothy were publicly executed. In 92, Domitian becomes the emperor, and he ordered that all citizens of Rome were to worship him as God. So imagine if, if you come out today, and all of a sudden, politically, everything changes, and it says, you will worship our government as God. And if you don't, these are the things that are going to happen to you. So this is, this is the day and the time that, that John was living in. This is the day and the time that the church was operating in. This is the day and the time that they were trying to do evangelism and reach people and share Christ and worship God and, and come in. And, and so you come in and, and you, you were expected to go to the temple you were expected to take a pinch of incense. You were expected to burn it on the altar and say Caesar is God. And if you didn't, your neighbors would turn you in because they hated you and they hated what you stood for. And then um, laws were set up that any Christian who went to court who did not 
renounce Christ, they would suffer the most extreme sentence for their crime. So your punishment no longer depended upon your crime. It depended upon your willingness to deny Christ. Um, by AD 95, 40,000 Christians had been killed. In 96, John was exiled to Patmos. So we pick up the story here. It was a period of extreme persecution. Being a Christian came with serious cost. It, when, when you looked at Luke 9.23 where Jesus said, If any man would come after me, let him take up his cross daily and follow me. That had meaning. It had way more meaning than the metaphor that we throw to it. It was real. It was alive. It was visual. It was something that they were seeing happen to their friends, their family members, their church, their church brothers and sisters in Christ, and, and they paid the price. So this is the context for the letters to the seven churches, and, and it helps us to understand the book because really, literally, this is the context of John. This is his context. This is what he's seeing. This is what is, is going on, and today we're going to get a glimpse. So John is going to go from taking the letters to the seven churches, and now the voice is going to come to him and say, look, behold, a door is open, and I'm going to open up a door into heaven, and I'm going to bring you in, and you're going to get a glimpse through this door of what's really happening. I know you see everything around you. I know you see your world. I know you see everything that's taking place today. But I want to show you how things really are. I want to show you what's really true and real and there and and so his current circumstances are going to suddenly look much different to him he is suddenly going to have a totally different perspective and when we when we see God as he is <clears throat> we will see the true worship glory and holiness of God on the throne and as we listen to the word of God, we see the holiness of God, the worship of God, and the glory of God on the throne. And he is described in terms like um, the ones that are used in Ezekiel chapter 1, Daniel chapter 7, Isaiah chapter 6. And, and you can bounce around and see in the prophets of the Old Testament, you see these examples of God and these descriptors of God and we see the same thing pop up again in the book of Revelation and you know why because God never changes there's nothing new here it is pushing back and taking us back through all of the history of the people of God and how God has shown himself to them so we come into Revelation chapter 4 verses 1 through 11 and John says after this I looked and behold a door standing open in heaven, and the first voice which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne, and he who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Cornelian, and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of of an emerald. So the first thing we see is the glory of God. We see the glory of God revealed as John looks up, he opens the window, he sees into heaven, and the glory of God is revealed to him. If you go to Psalm 19:1, it says, The heavens declare the glories of God, or the heavens declare the glory of God. So we come in and look, and, and the glory of God's far 
surpasses everything else as we come in. The glory of God is, is just unbelievable in comparison to where we live today and to what we see and to what we do. There's nothing, there's absolutely nothing that compares with the glory of God. Nothing. Look, for, for weeks now, they've been hyping up the Super Bowl today. I mean, weeks, you know, I mean, we're not, like, we live in Alaska. We don't have a whole lot of people who are just, like, gaga nuts over that kind of stuff. But where I'm from in Texas, I mean, it's, it's like everything stops for it. The grocery store's empty. I mean, I worked. At, when I was a kid, I worked in a grocery store. And on Super Bowl Sunday, I was scheduled to work that afternoon. I go to work. I mean, it's like Jesus came and nobody's there. And they say, well, you can go home. Because it is, it is the big thing, the big, big thing. And, and people plan for it. They spend millions and millions and millions. I mean, millions of dollars will change hands today through all of this. And, and people are planning it, planning parties, putting, putting everything else on hold. And, and it's a group that consists of football fanatics and then people who like a party. And, and you combine those two things, and you got this big deal. And honestly, who cares? Who cares? What difference does it make? What difference will it make tomorrow? What difference will it make in anybody's life tomorrow? As a matter of fact, you know, can you even remember who was there last year? No. Well, you might, but I, you know, I have to think a minute. Um, why? Why? You see, it's an interesting cultural thing in our country. And, and for some people, that's everything. Sport is everything. It's their God. They'll put everything behind. They'll put church behind. They'll put everything behind for sport, for activity. And, and it might not be um, athletics. It, it could be hunting. It could be fishing. It could be leisure. It, it could be any number of things. But for a large portion of our culture, that's God. That's glory. That's everything that there is. And, and John is opening up to see something different. And he's seeing that we are to worship the creator, not the created. He is flipping the script. And he's showing us what is real and what matters. And, and he's showing us that everything pales in comparison to the God who created us and made us and, and brings us into his presence. And our problem is, is that we see, we see life from an earthly perspective. We see life from the lens through which we view it. I mean, everything we see is, is through a lens. And that lens is our experience and what we've done. And we respond to things because of that. The, the way that certain things pop up, they'll, they'll draw a response from you because of past history. The way that we react to things, sometimes it's just because it's the way we were brought up. It's the lens that we've been shown for the world. And John, he saw the world through a lens. He really did. And that lens was persecution and suffering, being dominated, being exiled, 
wondering, do I have any hope? Yet he's on the island. He's on the rock. And he's worshiping God on the Lord's day. He hasn't forgotten who he is. He hasn't forgotten what his hope is. And in the midst of it all, Jesus said, hey, I want you to check something out. I just want you to look into the throne room of God. I want you to see what's been going on for all of eternity. I want you to see what will go on forever. I want you to see what really matters. I want you to see things the way that I see them. I want you to understand the world through a whole different lens and understanding. And and God is seated on the throne and he's totally in control. He's totally in control of all things. If you go back into Genesis chapter 1, you see that God speaks. He speaks, and the world comes into existence. He speaks, and he creates. God said, let there be light, and there was light. God said, let there be beasts that walk on the earth, and there were beasts that walked on the earth. God said, separate the sea from the land, and it happened. I mean, on and on and on. Because God is totally in control. He can speak from his throne and accomplish his will. In Revelation 21, verses 10 and 11, and it said, And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city of Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. You see, if, if we come in and we look, he... he, he begins to describe this city and and he says that um, there was jasper carnelian and emerald and all of these all of these stones represent the glory of god they're indicative of the glory of god the heavenly city walls are jasper jasper would be like diamonds or, or opal or something i mean it's 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 amazing the things that we see are as precious here on earth are common and define heaven. They define the city of God. And <clears throat> the throne is surrounded in concentric circles. It has a rainbow around it. And it's not a rainbow like we see, but it's circular because in heaven, there's no beginning or end. And, and it is surrounded there. You have the, that. You have the sea of glass ahead of it. You have the four living creatures on the sides of the throne. And around that, you have the uh, 24 elders on the 24 thrones. And these circles around the throne are the core vision and show the glory and the worship of God. As we come in and, and look at that, in Romans 8.18, Paul said this, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. This is, this is what Jesus is saying to us today. Today. He's speaking to us here in the middle of everything that's happening in, in modern times. And he's saying, this is what really matters. This is what truly is and you need to always remember god is on the throne and when we get a glimpse of the glory of god it changes the way that we see things when i see god for who he is it helps me to know who i am in christ when i see god for who he is it helps me to look at all of the current events of the day in a different lens when i see god seated on the throne i no longer have to fear 
for the future. When I see God seated on the throne, I have to understand that He and He alone is sovereign and in control regardless of what man may do. It changes the way we see current events. It changes the way we see politics. Look, I, I, political discourse is, is off the charts. And, and it's like we've forgotten that Jesus is on the throne and the Republicans and Democrats mean nothing. Nothing. Jesus isn't a member of either one. I don't care which way we skew, right or left. Jesus is true and he's real. And, and, and it makes no difference whatsoever in the grand scheme in the grand scheme of the world, in the grand scheme of God, who sits anywhere in the world on any throne made by man? Because they will be under the feet of God. Or they will be at the feet of God worshiping him. It's one or the other. When we come to the end of the book, it's like this. You're either with him or you're away from him. And nobody will usurp the throne of God. No one. He holds us in his hands. He is the God who is in control of economics. He is the God who is in control of the future. He is the God who is holding your marriage in his hand. He is the God who teaches you how to raise your children. He is the God who walks with us as a church and shows us what he wants for us. It is no one else. It is nowhere else. It is at the throne of God that we see this and we understand it and it becomes real and we have to get our eyes on the glory of God and what's going on in heaven so that we can accurately, accurately evaluate things on earth. We can only evaluate our world when we look through the lens of heaven and we look through the lens of the throne of God and we look through the things of God because God is on the throne and he is not leaving it, period. If you look and you read through, you know what God's doing? He's sitting. You know why? Because it takes him no effort to do what he does. Because he is God. He is almighty and he is powerful. He doesn't have to work out. He doesn't have to exercise. He doesn't have to eat right. He doesn't have to do any of that stuff because he is God. Heaven sounds good, doesn't it? I mean, he can have hot fudge Sundays every day. Exactly. But my guess is, is what, what there is in heaven makes that look like dog food. You know, it, it, because we can't wrap our minds around the greatness of God and who he is. And he's on the throne. And regardless of what's going on earth, on earth, God is on the throne. He is sovereign. And we have to have an understanding of the glory of God, of who he is and, and, and how he fills this room at the moment. As we gaze at him and as we gaze into his word and we worship as our minds take it in and as our hearts sing to him and, and as we are moved in that direction, as our affections are moved towards him. So we come in and we see the glory of God. Then we see the holiness of God as, as we come on in and we begin to look at this picture in the throne room of God. And it, and, and it says that around the throne there were these 24 elders and seated on the thrones uh, 
were 24 thrones, and seated on the thrones were 24 elders clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne, there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature like a lion, the second living creature like an ox, the third living creature like... A lion with the face of a man and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within. And day and night they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. You see, you see the holiness of God as you come in and you begin to see what's going on around the throne. The lightning reminds us of when Moses goes up on the mountain. He goes up on the mountain and, and the people come around the mountain and, and um, they are called there. And you see that, that beginning to take place in, Ezekiel, in Exodus chapter 19, verses 16 through 19. He says, on the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like a smoke, like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder. Moses spoke, and God answered him in thunder. Think about this picture. I mean, think about the last time we had a really big earthquake around here, and it just shook, and, and for a moment you thought, oh no, what's going to happen? Look, that's what happens in the presence of God. The earth trembles. And this is what happened at Mount Sinai. It shook. The ground shook. And the people were scared to death. They feared for their lives because of the holiness of God. The holy God had descended. And you see the lightning and all of the things taking place and and happening there. And, And Moses was invited up onto the mountain. God invited Moses to come up and enter into his presence as God descends in the clouds. And the people, they weren't even allowed to touch the mountain. They were, they were kept away. No mountain, no, no animal may touch the mountain. No person may touch the mountain. Only the one I invite up. Only the one invited. And it was only by the grace of God that anyone was allowed into his presence. And it's the same way as as we gaze into the throne room of God and we see what's happening there. John is invited. He's invited to gaze in. He's asked by God. Jesus is saying, come and, and let me open this door and show you this vision of what is going on. And in Jesus, he invites us into his presence. This is how we come into the presence of God. You don't just jump into God's presence. You don't just say, I'm going to go to heaven one day. It's only through the invitation of God, through Jesus Christ, through his blood on the cross that, that was shed for us in, in our repentance and acknowledging him as Lord and bowing down before him that we can come into the presence of God as we're invited through Christ to him. Um, And because he makes us holy, 
and blameless before God, not because we can do it ourselves. He cleanses us. He washes us up. It's like in the prophet Joshua in the Old Testament, the priest, that, that God is, is um, saying he's being accused. Put a clean robe on him. Wash him. Make him white. Put him clean and, and bring him in to my presence. It's um, <clears throat> this place where, where we can enter and enjoy his eternal glory. That's what God is inviting us into. And it reminds us of, of, of Isaiah's glimpse into the throne room. If you remember, if you go into Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah is, is um, there and he has come to the temple to worship. It's the year that Uzziah died. Uzziah, you may not have any idea who Uzziah is. Uzziah was the king for 40 years. I mean, for 40 years, he, he was the only king that these people, had, had, most of them had ever known. And as goes the king, so goes the nation in the ancient Near East. And he was a good king. And it was stable. And everything was good. It was a time of milk and honey. And Isaiah goes into the temple to worship. And he's wondering, as, as his foundations have been shook, what's happening? What's going to be the political scene? What's going to be my future? What's it going to look like? And not only that, I'm the cousin to Uzziah. I know, the, I know the court. I know the king's court. I understand it. And he says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, and the whole earth is full of His glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of Him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me. That's shorthand for I'm toast. Woe is me. For I am lost, I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. The one, then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. You see, what, what God is giving John and us today is a glimpse of who was, who is, and who is to come. The same glimpse that Isaiah had in the 8th century B.C., John is having in the 1st century A.D. 800 years later, he's seeing the same God on the same throne in the same heavenly host that John is getting a glimpse of here. Um, he is the God of all creation who's redeemed us by suffering and sacrifice. And we'll get into that next week, that we have been redeemed by suffering and sacrifice. But the seraphim of Isaiah chapter 6, literally the burning ones, the burning ones, they covered their faces because of the awesomeness of God. They covered their feet in humility. And they flew around with their wings because they were moving to do the bidding of God. And that's what God calls us to in his presence. They touched Isaiah's lips. 
with the burning coal to cleanse him because God is holy and God demands holiness. And God made Isaiah holy. God did what Isaiah could not do. Isaiah understood that. And around the throne is the Holy Spirit. You see the seven spirits of God. It's the perfect presence of God. It's not a God divided up into different things. It is, it is indicative of completion. It is the fullness of the Spirit of God, the fullness of the Holy Spirit there on the throne. And God is perfect, and the presence of the Holy Spirit is there, and the four living creatures are angelic beings who see all and represent all of humanity. They surround the throne. So as we come in and we begin to look at that, we could go off and, and talk about this stuff for days and days. But, but coming in, you begin to see this, this great picture of who God is and, and what he is doing and where he is and what that means for us today. So we see the glory of God. We see the holiness of God. And, and then we see the worship of God that's taking place around the throne. It's not just the glory of God. It's not just the holiness of God. But it's the worship that's taking place around the throne of what is happening and what is because God is, is great and he alone is worthy of our worship. God gives us a model for worship as we look at this. He gives us a model to see who he is. You see, worship is simply ascribing glory to God. And it's a glory that he alone is worthy of. Only God is worthy of that. Look, people worship. We're, we're made to worship. People worship all over the place. Look, they'll worship in stadiums today as, as they worship events. They'll worship at concerts as they're there and, you know, flicking your bick. Or I guess they don't do that anymore. Maybe it's waving a phone. But, you know, back in the day when I was a kid, they'd flick the bick and, and um, you know, just, You know, and, 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 and you got this thing, but that, what, what, I mean, you look at that, what is it? That's worship. That's worship. When people start lifting their hands up and they do it at a game or whatever, that, that, that is the thing built into us. It's, we are wired that way. And we will worship something. Everybody worships something. You will worship. And this is what, John is getting a glimpse of. And John is saying, and Jesus is telling John, don't worry about what's going on around you. Don't worry about Domitian. Domitian will either bow down to me or he will burn in eternity. I am holy, and I alone am worthy. I alone am worthy of your worship, and I alone hold your future in my hand, and I alone made the world come into being, and I am the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You see, the worship of God encompasses all of creation and all of our being and everything that we are. And the most dominant image, you know what the most dominant image in, in, the, in the book of Revelation is? It's the throne. It's the most dominant image. You've got the go-to name, Lord God Almighty, for God. But the go-to image, the go-to image in this book is the throne. It is the throne of God. Why do you think that is? Why do you think that, that the go-to image that would be given to a person 
who is facing intense persecution, who's been exiled to die on the rock, who has suffered unimaginable things to him physically, who has watched the people closest to him suffer immensely. Yet his go-to image is not God of, the God of comfort, not the God of vengeance, not the God who gives, not the God of justice, mercy, compassion. It's God on the throne. It's the God who is sovereign and on the throne. John uses the throne, that word, 17 times in chapters 4 and 5. 17 times. 38 times in chapters 4 through 22. And he uses other words that, that refer to it like 70-something times throughout the book. In addition, it is the go-to image. And it's not by accident. And it accurately portrays God. And it's the place where the heavenly beings and the saints gather around to ascribe glory to God. This is the place where it all happens in, in verses 8 through 11, and the four living creatures, each of them with six wings and are full of eyes all around and within. And day and night, they never cease to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they existed and were created. Think about that. Think about worship. Think about this scene of worship. Think about what it looks like. And as these people come and, and they throw their crowns down, their golden crowns, they throw them before the throne and they throw everything that they have before him and they fall on their faces before God in worship and, and they cry out to him. Holy, holy, holy. is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Or worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will, by your will they existed and were created. Look, I can't even get the stupid winch on my side-by-side -side to work. And he made all of creation. And he didn't even get up. And I could hardly stand up after it was all over with. See, that's worship. It's worship. And, you know, we've defined worship in some ways culturally as music. And, man, that's, that's like missing the mark. I had a guy I talked to a while back, and, and um, you know, I was talking to him. He found a church, and, oh, you know, well, you should come back. You know, well, we're worship people. 
I'm like, really? Yeah, you know, we were in church down in somewhere down south, and, and you know, the, the worship music there, it was just like production ready. I mean, you know, put it on a CD and sell it. I'm like, cool. Yeah, we're just looking for really, we're looking for worship. And in the back of my mind, I wanted to scream and say, do you hear what you're saying? You want to be entertained. You're saying, I want to be entertained. I want this. I like my playlist. It's not even about good music anymore. It's about my playlist. I want to pick and I want to be moved. Not by God, but by man. Music is one very valid expression of worship among many. They sing around the throne. But you know, you have to think, what does it sound like? Because God says, make a joyful noise to me what language do they speak in heaven now the joke is they say it's english because we don't we only speak english you know so the americans all be left out but but i don't think that's it maybe it's a cacophony of praise and language and people and nations and ethnicities As people bow before the throne and cry out in the language they've lived. And maybe we speak a heavenly language. I really don't know. I know we'll understand everything that's going on. You see, in this passage, it's the four living creatures constantly proclaiming the praises of God. For John, it was to fall before as if he were dead at the beginning of the book. You see, the 24 elders and the seven torches are reminders that God alone is worthy of worship. God alone is worthy of our worship. And our worship comes through many, many avenues. It comes as we sit and we pray to God. It comes as we look upon the glory of God and we gaze upon the creation of God and the things of God as the heavens declare the glory of God. And, and we see that and we give praise to Him. Not to nature, we give praise to God. And as we see the things that walk upon this earth that amaze us, we give praise to God. And as we experience it, and we're in a place where we see it in, in, in amazing ways. I mean, look, I grew up in the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex, and there's nothing glorious about it. It is buildings and roads. And you see what people can pull out of the prairie. That's kind of amazing. But when we come here, we see the power of the ocean, the mountains and their magnificence, the ice that's been around forever 
in the winter that's never going to end. In the summer that shines day and night. And the life that God brings in all of that, in the midst of it. And you sit and you look out right now and you think, how could anything exist in that? Yet in a few short weeks, it will come to life. see, God alone is worthy of worship, and we see that. We, we see it, and we worship him. We worship him as we pray. We worship him as we read the word of God. We worship him as we sing. We worship him as we meet together, and we share about what he's doing in our lives. We worship him as we love one another, as we serve one another, as we live out the Christian life. That's worship. As we bring him into our home, and, and, and we place him on the throne rather than us. That's worship. It is in so, so many different ways. As you do your job that God's given to you, to his glory, that's worship. That's worship. And these 24 elders and the seven torches are reminders that God alone is worthy of worship. He alone is worthy of worship. The emperor would be surrounded. Domitian, he would be surrounded by 24 bodyguards. As he would travel in an entourage, he would have 24 bodyguards. Around the throne of God, he doesn't need bodyguards. He has worshipers. The seven torches, the Holy Spirit of God, the emperor would have seven torches going ahead of his entourage. The throne of God, way bigger, way bigger. And this is the thing, that that they see all of the things of the world, then God says, nothing, it's nothing, it's nothing. This is where it's at. It's in the throne room of God, it's in the presence of God, and God is the only one who is worthy of worship, and the emperor is not up to the task. You see, you can't burn that pinch of incense to anything or anyone other than God. Because God alone is worthy of worship. Because of the glory of God, the holiness of God, and the worship that that demands. In Revelation 1.17, you go back to the very beginning. Here's what John said. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. John got a glimpse of God. He got a glimpse of Jesus. Now look, this is a guy who walked with Jesus for three years on earth in the flesh. Yet when he saw the resurrected Lord, he fell at his feet as though dead. See, true worship is responding to the holiness of God and the fact that he alone is worthy of our worship. He's ruler over all creation. Nothing Nothing is beyond his control. Nothing, nothing happening in your life today is beyond his control. Nothing happening in our church is beyond his control. 
Nothing compares to him, and our future is in him alone. And if you're worried, if you're worried about something today, you need to look to the throne of God. If you have concerns, you need to look to the throne of God. If you need to strengthen your marriage, you need to look to the throne of God. Because the problem is not in the mechanics of it. The problem is in your worship. Whatever your problem is, you need to look to the throne of God. Because we've made something out of something here on earth and made it our God. Rather than looking to the throne of God and understanding that he alone is worthy. He's the ruler over all creation. Nothing's beyond his control. Nothing compares to him. Our future is in him and in him alone. If you're worried about the government, look to the throne. If you're worried about who gets elected, don't worry about it. Look to the throne. Kings come and kings go. As a matter of fact, the scriptures say that God brings them to power and he takes them out of power. Nothing happens outside of his sovereign hand. If you want a glimpse of what will always be, look to the throne. If you want a glimpse of the future for Christians, look to the throne. Look to the throne. If you want access to the throne, run to Jesus. Run to Jesus. God is unchanging. God is all-powerful. He sees all. He knows all. Nothing can change his plans and purposes. And he alone is sovereign. And that's where it all begins. So as you come and you look at everything going on and happening today in our world, I want to encourage you. Forget about the lens that you see and open up that door into heaven that John is looking into and gaze upon the glory of Jesus, the glory of God on the throne, the God who always has been and always will be, and the God who is inviting you through Christ Jesus into his presence. Let's pray. Father, we come before you today <clears throat> thanking you for inviting us into your very presence. Father, we praise you and we worship you because you alone are worthy. And Father, we pray that you would help us to be a people who look constantly at heaven, constantly at your throne. So that we can make a difference in this world. Not because of who we are, but because of what you've done for us. Father, help us to love you more than anything else and to trust you in all things. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning... <clears throat>
I want to challenge you to look, look at the throne of God. Look into that room. Look into where he is. And, and, and let your problems and everything else and all your concerns filter through that. And see if God doesn't meet you where you are and take you to a whole different place. Would you stand?